Here we go, here we go. So I know uh, a lot of you guys know that I played college football. I also, in high school, uh, played baseball. I was a pitcher. I unfortunately ran track, worst decision of my life. And, and I, played, um, I played high school basketball. One, one of my favorite times, I was a shooting guard. Uh, for those of you that care about basketball, I shot 323 three-pointers my senior season, which is way too many, uh, way too many. I was uh, shooting happy, as they call it. Thankfully, I made a few. But anyway, one of my favorite times of the game is uh, near the end of the game when, when coach would call a timeout. We'd all gather around uh, coach. Well was my coach's name, and he'd get out his whiteboard with a marker, and he would begin to, uh, to show us the play, he'd script the play out. Mark, you're going to go here, we're going to pass the ball there, we're going to inbound here, etc., etc. And I can now stand before you in all vulnerability and say, I can't remember a time where we actually carried out the play as scripted. You know what I'm saying? It's like, boom, that person tripped, here comes a defender, there's a small child on the court, you know. There were all kinds of diversions to the script, right? And uh, the plan was clear, we just rarely have ever carried it out. It starts to get pretty interesting if you think about if you had the pen and could like write the play of your life, how you would write it. My guess is some of you would have a whole lot of fun with scripting your relationship, right? I mean, you would, you would like whatever your celebrity crushes, you know? My guess is you, you know, girls, what are, what's one of your celebrity crushes? Aaron Carter. Aaron Carter. That was too quick. That was too soon, that right there. Especially sitting by your, okay. So who is, hold on, who is Aaron Carter? What? He's, he does something with candy? Okay, anyway, anyway. This isn't going to go well for you, Val, because, so, you know, let's say, oh my goodness, like, if I were to write the script, the way I would write it is, you know, I meet, uh, what's his name again, Mr. Candy, and, you know, we, we, you know, get married happily ever after in our honeymoons in, on our own private island off the coast of the Bahamas, and, like, if we were to write the script, it would be super interesting, okay? If you were to write the script, how many kids would some of you guys have? How many kids would you have? Two? Who's, like, on the high side? Who's more than five? How many, ki- how many kids would you have? Six? Okay, that's almost a baker's dozen, right? That's a lot of work. Have you seen Cheaper by the Dozen? Need to watch it, all right? Now, check this out. Listen, the reason why all this is very pertinent is because God uh, has clearly scripted, drawn up, written up a plan of victory for the nation of Israel. And um, he scripted it so magnificently that we thought we would have a, a whole lot of fun with this. Now, how many of you guys like risk? Okay. Really likes it. Um, well, check this out. Check this out. We have our very own risk board here tonight, okay? And so, I know, I know, I know it's crazy. Some of you guys are like, how did that happen? You know, now listen, we are going to get to watch the battle of AI unfold right before our eyes. So before we do that, I want to remind you a little bit of where we've been. So, so far we've seen the nation of Israel do a lot of traveling, okay? We've seen them all over the place. Uh, We've seen them go a lot of different places. And uh, first I want to start with the, the Dead Sea, okay? Uh, some of my handwriting may be difficult, so please forgive me in advance. This is the Dead Sea. It's pretty salty. You guys remember the river that comes up from the Dead Sea? Anyone? River Day what? The Jordan. Okay, thank you. This is the Jordan River. Okay. Now, what's happened is the Israelites first came to Shittim. And when, when they came to Shittim, traveling all the way up from Egypt in the wilderness... They eventually came to a city named Gilgal. Now, after Gilgal, all of a sudden God calls them to ransack and take the dual-walled fortified city of what? Jericho, okay? 
So then they head to Jericho. Okay, for those of you guys that are just joining us, God provides a very weird militant strategy. And what happens is he tells uh, the nation of Israel to march around the city of Jericho, not do anything, blow some trumpets. They do that for six days, once around the city. On the seventh day, they do it more times, and to the surprise or maybe the a celebration of the Israelites, the entire walls of Jericho come tumbling down, and everyone in the city dies. I problema for the bilingual in Jericho, our good friend, you guys remember who takes the devoted things? Achan, okay. Our good friend Achan, even though God says don't take any of the devoted things, Achan comes into Jericho, takes some prized possessions, and then hides him under his what? Under his tent. Thank you. Okay, for the three of you that have been with us, praise God. Okay. Then what happens? Okay. Some folks go up to the city of Ai, okay? They go up to Ai, and because of Achan's sin, do you guys remember how many went up to Ai? 3,000. They go up to Ai, but because of Achan's sin, 36 die. The nation of Israel retreats, and Ai wins the battle. And so tonight what happens is we're, we're going to see an epic and maybe one of the most epic battles in Scripture, a play out right in front of our eyes. Because now God has called the nation of Israel to go back to Ai. Their camp is probably set up around Gilgal, but they're going to go, this time 10 times the amount of 3,000. So there's no uh, Scripture on, your, on, your, uh, sc- on the screen tonight. Instead, it's on the little piece of paper underneath your seat. So if you guys can grab that. How convenient. Round two versus I. Round one went to to AI. Let's see who round two goes to. Verse 10. Joshua rose early in the morning. We pause already to make the obvious, obvious revelation that Joshua only gets up early in the morning. I mean, if you've been with us, this is like a repetitive every single story. And Joshua got up early, and Joshua got up early. You guys know this, grandma and grandpa get up early. Joshua's old, old people get up early. But I think, I think it's more than that. I think he's anxious, he's he's ready, he's a leader, and he's leading by example. Joshua rose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. And all the fighting men were with him. And they went up and drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai with a ravine between them at Ai. So what happens is the nation of Israel leaves Gilgal and then 25,000 of them, that's right, this is Legos, don't worry about it, all right? 25,000 of them set up just north of Ai. They encamp, they, they go there at night, we saw last week, so that no one would detect them. 25,000 of them with a ravine that goes somewhere here between Ai and the army. Then verse 12, look at this. He took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So what happens is he sets up a little bit of an ambush right here between Ai and the city called what? Bethel, thank you so much. Okay, you guys can read Hooked on Phonics. So this, this ambush is now set up. Again, just so everyone's clear, 25 grand soldiers here. We have 5,000 soldiers here, and we're getting ready for a massive battle. So verse 13, they stationed the forces. The main encampment that was north of the city here and its rear guard west of the city here, but Joshua spent the night in the valley. Well, we needed Joshua. And so we're like, okay, like who can play Joshua, right? Tough call, right? Tough call. So we landed on um, Obi-Wan Kenobi, okay? The older version of Obi-Wan Kenobi. So we're going to put Joshua right about here. Uh, what, you guys need a better, if you guys can't see him, is that a better shot of him? Okay, a little bit. No, not so much. There we go. Okay. Anyway, there's Obi-Wan. All right, here we go. We're going to set him up. Well, he's sleeping, so we'll lay him down, okay? Now... Now, the interesting question for all these soldiers, as they lay 
in their tents, on the ground, whatever it is that they're sleeping on, is will God's plan work? And the reason why this is a very pertinent question is because they're coming out of defeat. And so personally, if I'm a soldier, the thing I'm asking is, all right, God, like, are you sure? Because again, in Jericho, you had us march around. Are you sure that this whole, like, draw them out of the city, ambush them from the west is a good idea? Are you sure, God, it's going to work? How many times is a good question? Whether God's plan will work or not. In fact, today, have you asked, will God's plan really work? Well, if you're going to ask the question, the first thing you, you need to define and you need to understand is the definition of work. Because I'll guarantee you this, you and I's perspective of whether something works or not is a whole lot different than the Lord, right? Let me give you an example. Jesus is telling Peter and the disciples that he's going to have to suffer and die. Peter says, no way, Lord. That plan is not going to work. That ship is not going to sail. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me what? Satan. And that's not a term of endearment, okay? You don't tell your friends that. Get behind me, Satan, right? He's chastising Peter. Because Peter's perception of something working doesn't include the suffering of Christ. But I think you'd all agree with me that as God scripted the plan of victory, he scripted it magnificently and it completely included the suffering of Jesus. And because of the suffering of Christ, not only did the plan work to perfection, but now you and I's transgressions and sin are completely covered in grace. His plan is good. But we sit back, we're like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, God. Are you sure this whole thing is going to, you know, kind of work out in the end? That's the problem. We as his followers, when we find ourselves about his glory and his glory alone, then we don't need it to work in our favor. Are we together? We don't need all all the T's to cross and all the I's to dot, and we don't need to get the trophies, and we don't need the great salary. We get the opportunity just to submit to whatever it is that God wants. And that, my friends, is the plan of God working. So the soldiers sleeping, AI, resting, nothing's happened yet. You can feel like the, all of a sudden the, the theme song of Rocky or something playing in the background as all of these soldiers are surrounding the city. And as, verse 14, soon as the king of Ai saw this. So we need to kind of mark something for Ai here. So we'll go. I looked up their mascot, the Ai mascot, and their colors were blue. So we'll go with blue. And the king is there, so we don't have Obi-Wan. We just have another Lego. There's the king, okay? That was funny to me. Anyway, (laughs) um, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out early to the appointed place toward the Araba to meet Israel in battle. Now, normally when you watch like battle plans, they have like a, a you know a pusher thing to kind of move the blocks. We're going to have to settle for a Batman sword, okay? Um, this is pretty awesome, actually. My boys are really excited to score this uh, after this evening. Uh, so what happens is the king wakes up, and he sees the nation of Israel. And he's coming off of what? Victory. The last time the king of Ai saw the nation of Israel, they were retreating, tails between their legs. And so all of a sudden, now that the king is emboldened, again, look at verse 14 again. And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out to the appointed place, the Araba. Now, the Araba is a desolate, desert like place. So they come out of the city, okay, and find themselves now in the place of battle. They're readying in their minds, for victory. But, middle verse 14, he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. He doesn't know the ambush, obviously. He puts he and his people in a vulnerable place, flees some of the fortification, in verse 15. And Joshua and all the, uh, the Israel 
a pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So what happens now is the nation of Israel starts running as though they've been defeated, okay? Well, Joshua just woke up. There he is, all right? And they're fleeing it. And so again, the, the people in Ai are like, this is awesome. Because why? Like the last time they were here, they saw 3,000 people. Now they're looking at an army of 25,000 and they're still retreating. Imagine how you would feel as a warrior of AI. You'd be like, that's what I'm talking about. You go ahead, like, hide your kids, hide your wife. We're coming at you, right? Now look at this. And Joshua and all of Israel pretended again in verse 15 to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So, verse 16, all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them and they pursued Joshua and they were drawn away from the city. Verse 17, not a man was left in Ai or where? Bethel. We don't know the numbers in Bethel. We don't get a perspective. In fact, this is uh, the last time Bethel is mentioned in that perspective. But all of the people now are out of the city and are out here vulnerable. Okay. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. Now, there is a massive teaching opportunity for us in this picture. A few weeks ago, I asked you, can you accept that your perspective is limited? My contention to you, even more forcefully now, is if you cannot accept that your perspective is limited, it is going to be a long, long journey ahead for you. The moment you begin to accept that your perspective is limited, that God's ways are higher than yours, that is at the very precipice of humility. So the opposite then is, no, my perspective is right. I understand, I got it, God, it's all good. That's precisely what the king of Ai is feeling. He, in his limited perspective, albeit, steps out overconfidently, Because he thinks he knows it all, sees it all, has experienced it all. His past tells him to win again. And so not considering any kind of strategy, he steps out in pride, in arrogance, in overconfidence. Let me give you an illustration that I hope you'll understand and what's all happening throughout this. When when men take their vows on their wedding day, okay, when guys stand up and take their vows. How many of you, how many of you dudes think you're going to cry when you give your vows? How many criers you think? Are you serious? <laughs> this is horrible. <laughs> Hold on. Dave, you, you cried? Okay. Because you're, you're already married. You're already married, right? But you cried? Okay. Can I, can I please point? Are there any dudes here who think they're going to cry when their vows? Thank you. Marry that guy. Okay. <laughs> All right. All of you, okay? Now, listen, just kidding, obviously, listen. Now, check this out. I've done now 100 weddings, okay? Get, doing one this weekend. Okay, when I stand up with the couple and we're getting ready to do their vows, imagine me at a wedding, all right? It's interesting because like the bride and groom are right here and I'm just me, okay? So I'm like spitting on them. It's crazy. It's a lot of fun. But listen to this. No guy ever says, okay, so, you know, share your vows. Well, I'm, I'll probably love you. Uh, until you're old and aren't pretty anymore. And uh, I'm going to do my best. I'll give you a massage once a year. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, rub your feet um, only when you're in the hospital. And I'll make frozen pizza. Amen. Right? Like, no one says that. Like, the, their vows are to death do us part. And listen, I, I'm going to be committed to you. But listen, it's, it's after that moment when sometimes men start to rest in their own abilities, that they leave the perspective of God and just try to lead their wife on their own accord, lead their family on their own strength, pull up their bootstraps, following the manly picture and culture, learn from that and bring that into their marriage. And in so doing, overconfident, unbelievably prideful and arrogant, But when a man steps back from his marriage and sees things from the Lord's perspective and remembers that scripture says to love your wife as Christ, what? Come on. Love the church 
You see, the world says, love your wife as long as she dot, dot, dot. That's what the world says. Love your wife as long as she's hot. Love your wife as long as she's awesome. Love your wife as long as she's, as long as she's social. Right. But what the scripture says is love your wife as Christ loved the church. And how has Christ loved the church? We have betrayed, we have blasphemed, and yet Christ loves. You guys see what I'm saying? When, when you step out thinking that your perspective wins the day, you are missing out on the chance to obey the Lord and his grand perspective because his perspective is way higher than even this. He's setting this up. He's mapping it out. And he's giving the nation of Israel an opportunity to celebrate in victory. So, unbelievable opportunity. Uh, let's, let me give you one more example. Uh, some of you guys um, have had people that you've needed to forgive for years. Someone wronged you three, four years ago, maybe even two weeks ago. And you have taken it on yourself and your perspective that you're going to be the deciding factor of who you forgive and who you don't forgive. All right, you provide me a, a social advantage, I'll forgive you. Oh, you're, you're a potential relationship? Oh, I'll forgive you, no problem. You, uh, listen, you wronged me to, to a place that, that digs so deep, no forgiveness. If we exist that way, overconfident in our own ability to decide, do you understand how much joy is robbed from us when Jesus tells, tells the disciples to forgive? How many? 70 times 7. And some of you are like, you're doing the math, right? You're like, sweet, I'm well past that, so good to go. That, that wasn't the point. The point wasn't 70 times 7. It was keep forgiving. So listen, if, if, the, if the leader of the king of Ai would have found himself here, Submitting to the Lord, seeing things from God's perspective, quite potentially, everything would have been very, very different. But instead, he steps out, overzealous, puts all of his people in a vulnerable place. And now, all of a sudden, unbelievable things begin to happen. Verse 18. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai. Well, we, we need a javelin. Don't have a javelin, but I certainly have a lightsaber. You know what I'm saying? How many of you guys are excited to see uh, Star Wars coming out next week, right? Okay. Pretty awesome. The rest of you are lame. Now, um, there's Joshua with his javelin. <laughs> this is awesome. Okay. Verse 18, look at this. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand and Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. What story does this remind you of this moment? Moses. That's right, Moses in Exodus 17 against Amalek. God tells Moses to raise up his staff. And anytime he would lower it, his army would begin to lose. And so people had to like help him in his weakness to hold it up. So very similar now, Joshua takes over for Moses, has a javelin or like a spear-like uh, object in his hand. And look at verse 19. And the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place, and as soon as he stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. So these soldiers who are waiting to ambush now move into the city of Ai. And who do they find there? Everyone is out. Everyone is chasing the Israelites because they think they've won. Following the command of God, here's what they do. They hurry to set the city on fire. Verse 20, heavy. So when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven and they had no power to flee this way or that. For the people who fled to the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. Let's try to capture this moment. You're in the back of the army of Ai. And all of a sudden you start to smell smoke. And you're like looking, you know, you're like, is there a forest fire out here? Like what's going on? Imagine how you would feel if you turn back 
and all of a sudden you saw soldiers and smoke billowing from your home. You 30 seconds before that were chasing the Israelites with your sword out in victory. They were probably beginning to slow clap. I mean, they, they were chanting. And they turn around and they see the smoke. Can you imagine that moment? The change of events. Some of you have felt it before, like so excited about something to then all of a sudden be quickly surprised by the news. And then what the scripture says, what happens is, is then all of this, all of the nation of Israel who are fleeing, now all of a sudden they turn back. So you have a burning city here, an army now in Ai that have been crushed in their spirit, and 25,000 soldiers with a javelin sticking through the air that now turn around. I mean, they were chasing them like it was over. Can you see the, the faces of the Israelite soldiers as they turn around? I guarantee you, it was an intense, brave-heartish kind of face. It wasn't somber. It was, we're going to win. Now, I begin to step back from all of this. And I get overwhelmed by the coordination of God. To victory. He's coordinating this. He's orchestrating that. He says, make sure you light the city on fire. Come out of Gilgal. Go around through the valleys at night. Then ambush. I mean, he is unbelievably calculated, precise in his coordination. How many of you guys have said, man, I'm so glad God gave me that job? How many of you have said that before? I'm so glad that God gave me this relationship. I'm so thankful that God provided this vehicle for me. I'm really, really, I'm so, so pumped that God gave me this residence or this roommate. We're quick to thank God at the moment of perceived provision. And then six months later, uh, yeah, God, thanks, thanks for providing there, you know, the whole thing, but... Uh, but now I, I've got it. I'm, we're we're kind of doing okay again. I'll, I'll contact you again when there's catastrophe. Why do you think he's put you in the place where you're living? Why do you think he's put you on your campus? Why in the world do you think he's going to give you a spouse? What do you think the plan of God is in sending you home here tonight and maybe stopping in a quick trip? God is coordinating the efforts of his ambassadors all over the place. There is a reason why he's put you in that dorm. Oh my goodness, there's a reason why he's put me and my family in our neighborhood. And it's not to mow a nice lawn or to have a white picket fence or to put up nice Christmas lights. It's because God desires that the gospel be shared and lived in my neighborhood. Imagine the coordination of all of us right now who are in Christ. Again, our American consumeristic mindset says, no, no, we just get to come and take. God is just coordinating our worship gatherings. So we go to a worship gathering. God coordinates it all. It's really, really cool. We sing some songs. Everyone claps. And then we go home. Oh, my goodness, no. Oh, we come to worship the Lord as one, to be taught God's word, to be empowered through the Spirit, to do what? To be sent out in coordination. And I'm telling you right now, my friends, when you begin to take that mentality in your campus, in your neighborhoods, hello, somebody, your workplaces. Listen, I know you think that you've got that J-O-B to make minimum wage, but can I encourage you with this? The only reason in Christ you have that job is to bring the light of the gospel into that workplace. That's it. Anything else is a byproduct. Oh, that's cool. We got the paycheck too, and that's God's anyway as well. God is coordinating his church, ambassadors all throughout the world. Why? Because he is precise in his coordination, and you and I get the chance to submit to that and enjoy a strategizing perspective of the Lord who's put us all in places that we cannot even imagine. What would happen if tonight everything shifted in your mindset? 
your campus, all of a sudden you saw as one massive mission field. You're like, well, the degree's a byproduct. The cafe is a byproduct and sometimes a good one. You know, I know some of you guys get tired of it. I always love the fact that it was a buffet. Are you kidding me? Buffet every day? Stop complaining, right? But what if all of a sudden you put on a new perspective? Hold on, I'm in Christ. I'm an ambassador right now. You guys know as well as I do, it is so difficult to not believe that your life is about you. But you're going to have to show me a passage that says you come to Christ and then you just get to live for you. That is nowhere in the scripture. You come to the Lord and then you get the joy of denying yourself the rest of the days of your life. And then he comes back or he calls you home and you spend the rest of eternity in glory. Now that's what I'm talking about. But right now, many of you, it's all me, it's all good. But I look at this as just one example of a God who coordinates mission. And I'm so thankful he does because some of you tonight are going to go on a quick trip. And it's not just to get one of those fountain sodas that tastes like nectar from heaven. Why is quick trip soda so good? Can I, right? I mean, the Diet Coke there, it's like the Lord is just straight pouring it in himself, you know? Like, where is this coming from, God, right? Right? But listen, when you walk in to quick trip, there's only one reason why you're walking in. Stop living life with your head down. Stop living life with the eyes just looking in the mirror, my friends. We get the joy of submitting to a coordinating God. God has coordinated the victory here in AI. And now the very, very difficult reality in verse 21. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city went up, look at this, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. So it's not just that they turn back, but they pursue on the offensive. 25,000 now against 12,000. And the others came out of the city against them. So all of a sudden now the people that had ambushed, now they come out of the city as well. Completely surrounded. I mean, you, you literally went two, three, four minutes ago to thinking you had won the battle. You turn around to see your city in smoke. And now you're completely surrounded and you're beginning to watch your fellow comrades die. And the others came out of the city against them, so they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. Israel was everywhere, and Israel struck them down until there was left none that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai they took alive and brought him near Joshua. As it was in Jericho, this is tough. God is commanding an ambush and the killing of all of these people. And what many of you are thinking is that is a ruthless God. As we wrestled with in Jericho, how could a loving God do this? I want to continue to help you through that wrestle. By saying this portrayal is not a ruthless God, it is a just God. Mark, what do you mean? The people in Ai were pagan worshipers. Denying the name of the Lord. Turning their backs on God. Feeding off the faucet of their flesh. Going after pleasures. The wages of sin is death. And so Ai is judged by a just, not ruthless, merciful God based on the people turning their back to him. Is that harsh? It's real. The wages of sin is death. What should be that? The result of that is you knowing that me and you deserve exactly what the people in AI got. Worshiping ourselves Interested in our pleasures and passions, 
feeding off the faucet of our flesh, pursuing our own kingdom. Listen, we're not that much different than the people in AI. The difference for us is that Christ stepped in and obeyed God for us. We could not perfectly obey. Christ steps in and perfectly obeys. And now anyone who finds himself in Christ receives the mercy and grace of God. Hillsong sings a song right now called The Scandal of Grace. Have you guys heard of it? Scandal of Grace, yeah. I love the word scandal and grace put together because it is insanely scandalous. I mean, I deserve to die by the sword, just like the people in AI. You deserve to die by the sword for your sins, just like the people in AI. And here you sit in that nice, cozy, black, leaning back chair. You see what I'm saying? We have a lot to be thankful for, my friends. And it begins with the grace and love of a good God. So everyone's dead, except the king. And Joshua is now falling over because of how difficult the scenario has been. Let's give him a little back there. So the, the scripture says they bring the king to Joshua. Let's pick this up in verse 24. When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they had pursued them, and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, look at this, both men and women were 12,000, all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he had stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. What in the, why? He holds the javelin out for who knows how long. The question is, why? Why does he do this? I mean, I guarantee you he's getting tired. Like, you, you could hang like a pack of gum out for about half an hour and you're tired, right? Think about a massive spear. Why does he do this? I'm asking you. Why does he hold the javelin? Because God told him to. Listen, my friends, it can be that simple. I know we've made it not that, but it can be that. God told me to, and so I obeyed. God told him to hold out his javelin, a javelin, and guess what? He did it. I'd be asking questions. Seriously, a javelin? Like, couldn't I get something cooler? You know, like, I, like a javelin is kind of a nice word, but, you know, like a, a kind of some massive sword would be better. You know, I'd be asking all kinds of questions. When I began to get tired, hey, Lord. Like, don't forget about me down here. Like, you see me holding up this javelin? Seriously, can I lay it down on a rock or something? Or have Beavis over here who's chilling and doing nothing hold it for me? I'd be asking all kinds of questions. Instead, simple obedience. God told him to. You ready for this? Verse 27. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as their plunder. Why? according to the word of the Lord that he commanded Joshua. Why do they only take that as plunder? Because God told them to. Can it be that simple? Yep, it can. Let, let, let me say this real quick. I can't imagine a household where my kids just obeyed me all the time, but it would be awesome. Let me give you a couple of examples. I wake up in the morning. Hey, kids, could you guys make breakfast? And no one says a word, but I look over and my kids are opening the fridge and making omelets with bacon and mushroom, like they're just doing it. And they're like four or five years old, playing with fire, making omelets, right? Like, and then I'm like, hey kids, you guys mind going out and cleaning up the backyard, even though it's 19 degrees out. And I see them getting themselves ready, putting their coats on. They look at me with a smile. Yes, dad, no problem. And I look out, they've got the lawnmower out there. They're like trimming the hedges. They're going above and beyond. And then they come back in. I'm like, hey, kids, you guys, go, you know, mind going and cleaning the bathrooms? Dad, we would love to. Thank you so much. Can we clean the bathrooms the rest of the day? Can you guys imagine that kind of life? No. No. But it sure would be awesome. So can you imagine just for a second things from the perspective of the Lord? Hey, uh, Forgive. Kids, forgive. Um, yeah, I don't think so, God. Thanks, though. I appreciate it. 
hey, kids, could love one another. Yeah, no problem, God. I'll love those who are going to love me back. Cool, deal? Are we good? Straight? High fives all around? Hey, kids, listen, um, you guys are going to be my ambassadors and a light to the world, so I, I need you to make disciples. Tell everyone about me. Yeah, God, we'll do that when it's convenient for us, okay? Everything good? Like, like do you understand how beautiful it would be if it was enough for us just to hear God say it and then empowered by the Spirit in us, not pulling our bootstraps up, empowered by the Spirit, we just obey. Like the gifts that His commands are. Can it be that simple, Mark? Hold a javelin up. Only take the livestock from AI. And they do it. Can it be that simple? Look at how this ends in verse 28. So Joshua burned AI and made it forever a heap of ruins as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset, Joshua commanded, and they took his body down from the tree and threw it, threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a great, a great heap of stones, which stands there to this day. The question is, why? First of all, this goes back to a principle in Deuteronomy, but, but why? Why hang the king? I think there are several reasons, but I think one of the main reasons is to show all of these soldiers who are witnessing this, there is one king. Anyone who tries to place himself in the perspective of king will find himself being humbled. And in this case, the king of Ai steps out in his overconfidence and dies. So what are we to do with all of this, right? Apart from you guys walking back tonight and saying, oh, it was a neat story. We got to play with Legos and Star Wars figurines, right? Like, like, like what does this mean for us? What is the significance of what God has done? God has drawn up over the army of AI a plan for victory. And I look at every single one of you right now in the eyes. God has drawn up for you a plan of victory. He's drawn it up. He's crafted it. He's coordinated it. He's been intentional in it. Let's start in the garden, shall we? Adam and Eve, Satan comes, did God really say? And they eat the fruit. Can I ask you, could God have stopped them from eating the fruit? Could he? Yes, he could have grabbed it, but he doesn't. Why? Because Jesus was always the script for salvation. God had already drawn it up that way. Does God love sin? No, he hates sin. He abhors sin. He can't be near it. Did he cause sin? No. He allows Adam and Eve to do the thing he hates so that he can show us how much he loves. He had drawn up. Jesus is going to come. The nation of Israel is going to show that they have to have a Savior because they're going to disobey me even after seeing so many of my powerful works. I'm going to have to send Jesus. And then when I send Jesus, he will perfectly obey. He will become righteousness. He will step in and fulfill the law and the prophets. And then anyone who comes to me through Christ will experience eternal victory. He's drawn it up. You can have eternal victory through the person of Christ, and that is the unbelievable mapping and coordination of a good God who started this long before you were ever even thought of to your parents. But what about now? Okay, victory in eternity, but what about now? God has mapped it out. Mark, what do you mean? He's mapped out your victory right now. He's coordinated it. He's drawn it up. Well, how, Mark? Like, what do you mean he's drawn it up? He has given you a chance to obey him. And that 
until he comes back or calls us home is our victory in Christ. Eternally, because of Christ, we have victory. Now, through Christ, we have the chance to obey God and stand victorious. Mark, Mark, okay, you, you have to help me explain. Listen, listen to this. Some of you have experienced addictions in your life that have brought about tremendous pain and remorse and regret. Maybe just the addiction is you. You addicted to yourself. Maybe for some of you it's cutting on yourself. Maybe for others of you it's pornography. Still others of you eating disorders of all kinds. And you know the hurt and the turmoil of that. And when all of a sudden, empowered by the Spirit, you turn from that sin and you obey. You start believing that you don't need porn to fulfill you. That you don't need porn anymore to turn to when you're having a bad day. And can I please somebody agree with me that when you stand in obedience, the joy and freedom and victory of that moment, please, God has allowed us in his grace to experience that. When all of a sudden you forgive the unforgivable, there's something crazy that happens in your life. It's victory now. Yes, we have victory in Christ in an eternity, but he's given us the map to experience victory now, and it is by simply obeying him. God, I will. Yes, I will forgive. I will love. I will walk onto my campus for one reason, and that be your glory. I will pursue that relationship I feel stirred to pursue by your spirit because I know you're calling me to share the gospel with them. I will forgive my parents for the harm they've caused me. I will reach out to that person. I will sell everything and move to that country. I will, God, yes. And in so doing, victory. Do you understand how gracious of a God it is that he would allow us to experience victory here and now over sin instead of just waiting for an eternity? That is a God who loves you very much. And so the question is, what will you do then? Another day to pull up the bootstraps and hope for the best? No, I have a different idea. Why don't you guys stand with me? Crazy things are happening in Acts. Please hear me. Crazy things. The Holy Spirit has come down. The apostles are doing all kinds of miracles. They're proclaiming the gospel. And here's what's happened. Now, this isn't going so well. And the religious leaders in Jerusalem and beyond, they're, they're getting angry with the followers of Christ. And so they've told them, you guys need to silence yourselves, Peter and the apostles. You guys need to shut your mouths. Shut up with this Jesus stuff. You need to simmer down. If you don't mind, I'd like to share with you the conversation that happens between Peter, the apostles, and the high priest. Acts chapter 5, verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. We told you not to mention Jesus. We told you to get in the corner. We told you to silence yourselves. We told you that this, this is just a myth you're following. We told you. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem, in the face of our ridicule, with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. This is the high priest in Jerusalem speaking, and Peter, and the apostles, look in the face of the high priest, who has just been a part of 
the killing and murder of Jesus, who has the power seemingly to kill them too. And here's their response. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. They look right in the face of the high priest and they say, No, you are mistaken. We must obey God rather than you. Why he goes on to say the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And they say we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. They say we can't shut up. We have experienced God's power. And because we've experienced God's power, then we're his witnesses. And I don't care, high priest, what you say. We have to obey him because we've seen it. We've seen the dead raise. We've seen the blind see. We've seen the lame walk. We've seen the hopeless have hope. We've seen those who had addictions lay down their addictions. We see the unsavable come to Christ. My question to you is, have you seen it? Have you seen his power? Have you seen those who were lost be found? Have you seen marriages, maybe your own parents, be healed in Christ? Have you seen forgiveness be lavished on relationships and reconciliation happen? Have you seen his power? Have you encountered it in your own life as he reached down and pulled you out of the pit of despair and breathed life into you? Have you experienced it? And if you have, then we get tonight as his witnesses to stand in victory and say, we must obey God rather than men. That's our call. So Father, now, based on your power, based on your reality, would you overwhelm us with a joyful desire to obey you. God, open our eyes to the reality of your power all around. And in this precise moment, I pray that you will stir us to run from our disobedience and to walk empowered by your Holy Spirit as a witness and ambassador for you. God, come in power.